everyone. It's George Curl. It's another episode of the Innovator's Mindset podcast. I am very excited to have my friend Evan Whitehead joining me today. And Evan and I have actually known each other uh, just for the last little while. We connected and actually Evan sent me a message uh, through a um, direct message one day and had just said, hey, I'd love to you know do some work with you. And so before I answered, I actually looked through Evan's stuff and Evan uh, had, was writing about uh, these three terms, and this is in 2020, balance, boundaries, and breaks. And I just started going through all of this stuff. I'm like, this is so needed in our world right now. This is such a powerful message. And so I actually messaged Evan back and said, hey, can we talk right now? I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday night, probably 10 o'clock his time because I really wanted to kind of go into this stuff because I felt this was so needed. And so um, Evan and I have been talking about doing some work together. And, you know, this is one of the things we do a podcast, but we got some other things that are uh, going to be coming your way uh, in the near future. But also we have uh, a love for the Lakers for old school Magic Johnson. So we've connected on that level because we're both big basketball fans. And uh, yeah, and the, the intro, Dilla Soul, probably Evan's the only person who knows that song of the intro of the podcast. So um, yeah, it's from my playing basketball back in the day is got introduced that song. So Evan, I am super pumped to have you uh, on the podcast. Can you just tell people just a little bit about who you are and, and a little bit about your educational journey? Sure. So uh, thanks for having me on, George. I appreciate yeah, my it pleasure. first and foremost. Um, so I am starting my 23rd year um, in education, um, so spanning over three decades. Um, I started as a um, crisis interventionist and a teacher assistant at a therapeutic day school, which is for your listeners that may not know, that may not know, it's for students that have um, that are special education, but specifically have emotional behavioral challenges, and they're no longer able to. Um, participate in their homeschool because the support's not there. Uh, that was the first job that I ever had, had no idea what it was, kind of walked in and it was baptism by fire. Um, and then I was <clears throat> also a teacher assistant for the next couple of years in special education, self-contained classrooms. Um, and then I decided, you know, with some, with some pushing from some of the lead teachers I was working with that I should go back and get my degree in, in special ed. So I went back and finished and, um, you know, uh, I ended up finishing my, my undergrad was in special education with a concentration of bilingual, bicultural special education and teaching English as a second language. Um, so my second language is Spanish. Um, had a chance to um, study abroad in the Dominican Republic for, for quite some time. And then when I got back and after I graduated, um, I had my first um, full-time teaching job um, and it was high school, uh, teaching high school students, public high school, but they're all special ed and it was um, pretty much a self-contained program for all the students that have emotional uh, and behavioral challenges. And, um, you know, that was that was a great experience. And then got an opportunity to do some some larger work with some community outreach. And I so I worked um, in, a, in a school district where we had a Latino parent outreach program. And at the time, we were um, servicing 300 parents um, per per week. Um, we had um, citizenship classes. We had six levels of English classes. We also had um, computer literacy um, that I facilitated with the with the teacher. So I did the Spanish part, and he um, was the teacher in teaching English. Um, and we offered we also offered free childcare um, as well to make sure that all the parents could do that. So doing that for a couple of years, I got I got tapped into uh, 
becoming a dean of student discipline um, at the at the other school district in our high school. So, um, you know, I saw once again kind of those students that were at that tier three level, so to speak, that needed those more supports. And you know, going from special ed to being a dean, it was very similar because you know I always saw the students that 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 you know had the most needs, um, families that you know really. Um, you know, also wanted to maintain contact with their students, but also needed some additional support as well. And then um, I ended up doing, being a community outreach coordinator for the entire district and working with um, African-American families, um, Latino parents, and also um, low-income families. And I did some mentoring as well with our um, Latino and African-American student populations, um, doing some things on college and career readiness. Um, I started the first um, gospel choir program in the district and also in the county, I started the first um, Black History Month program that they ever had as well. So during that time, I was kind of got tapped again and said, hey, you should think about going to get your, get your master's degree and, and getting administration. I really had no idea, I didn't really want to, but I, I, I liked, you know, kind of being in, in the world of making decisions and looking out for, for students and families. So um, I went back to school, um, working full time and working on my master's degree. At the same time, my wife was pregnant with my with my son um, so for people that kind of imagine what that was like as well um, but then when I finished um, it was like my fourth year in the district so I would have completed my tenure um, and what's interesting is is that um, we just happened to hire like five new assistant principals the year before and the, the assistant superintendent superintendent said hey Evan we'd love to keep you and we'd love to offer you something but we just don't have any positions um, and I was you know I really wanted to stay but you know I, I realized that I could make a greater impact at the administrative level and, and making some making some decisions so I ended up um, you know looking for some other other opportunities and um, I put applications for assistant principal jobs um, some coordinator jobs and then I saw one job for that was listed for an assistant superintendent for special services. And it was it was very similar to you know, kind of what I was doing. I was, you know, overseeing like um, counselor, social worker, psychologist, special education, um, McKinney Mental Homeless, um, you know, uh, going doing some grant works. And I and I ended up saying, you know, what what should I go ahead and try and try to you know, put my name in name in the hat? I applied, I got called for an interview, and um, it was the first time I ever got a one-on-one -on -one interview with the superintendent, George. And um, she was, it was nothing like I ever experienced. She was very um, stoic. Um, I went in, interviewed, sat across a long table from her, and she had no affect at all from anything. Like, I, like she asked me questions, I give, I give a response, nothing. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't read her at all. And like, you know, typically I thought I was a pretty good, you know, um, person on interviews. I, you know, kind of, kind of read the room and see what was going on. She gave me nothing at all. So I finished the interview, um, went home, talked to my wife. She said, hey, how'd it go, Evan? And I said, that was the worst interview ever. I bombed it. I said, I said, there's, I said, that was I'm, I, like, really, I felt so bad. I like, like, I, I was like down for a little while. I'm like, I cannot believe that I walked in there, thought that I could even apply for a job at that level after only being like, you know, kind of like mid management as a dean of discipline. I said, I had no business doing that. I said, I, I, I man, I was just embarrassing. And then like the next day I get a phone call from the superintendent and say, hey, we'd like to bring you back in for a second interview awesome. um, kind of with our with our team. So I said, okay, came in, had the interview, finished, called me back like that night and said, we'd like to offer you a position. So I literally went from, from <laughs> dean of student discipline 
no, no assistant principal, no principal, and right to assistant superintendent um, in an elementary school district. And most of my work had been in been in uh, secondary, so high schools. And um, you know, it, it it was it was it was just so interesting because one at the time I was the long, the youngest assistant superintendent in the state of Illinois. I was thirty four years old. Oh wow! Um, yeah, I was, and then also you know um, being an African American man as well. There was no one that looked like me in any of the, you know, any of those circles in central office administration. But, um, you know, for some reason, that superintendent, uh, her name is uh, Dr. Eva Smith, and she just passed a couple of years ago. She became one of my best mentors because she saw something in me that I had no idea mm -hmm. um, at all. And she took a chance. She took a risk on me, you know, and said, hey, you know, she saw some potential. And that was 11 years ago. And, um, you know, since then, I've I've stayed in central office admin and, um, you know, either as an assistant superintendent or a director um, as well. Um, my current district, I'm a director because we don't have assistant superintendents. So it's, you know, in terms of org chart, like it's me and then the superintendent is my boss, my direct supervisor, um, you know, and, and I like it. I mean, it's I'm the type of guy that likes to do different things. So, you know, everything that I oversee in terms of early childhood education, bilingual education, um, you know, for here in the States, Title I um, for low-income students, um, family community engagement, social emotional learning, um, homeless students. You know, I kind of, you know, kind of like all that because it's different every day. Um, and I get a chance to work with different people in different departments and really seeing, you know, children from the time they enter school um, all the way through they, they're ready to go to high school. And I see different levels and I'm able to see them progress and also see, see the skills that the teachers and the people in my department have. Like I, like I find that fascinating because I actually had a very similar experience where I was hired by someone that I didn't think I was going to get a job from. And that idea, and I always, and I, I've, I've shared this person's name, Kelly Wilkins. She saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. And I think that's honestly what great teachers do. Like we always tell kids like, hey, you need to believe in yourself. And that's really important. But it's way easier to do that when you feel someone else believes in you. Right? right. And I think that's, and it's, you know, I, I think both of us have been blessed to have people like that, but every person, uh, every student, every adult needs those people that sees those things and not only sees them, but brings them out. And I, I think sometimes let's be honest that people sometimes see those things in other people and then they become threatened by it and they want to mm -hmm. almost, you know, suppress it as yeah. opposed to like, Hey, like, this is great that, you know, we have someone here that's, you know, really great. Let's bring out the best in them. So I think what a beautiful lesson for not only um, teachers listening to this right now on how important it is, but also administrators and, and the people that you work with, because we want people that we associate going on to great things. And it sounds like your superintendent did a great job, even though you probably didn't think that was going to happen. No, I, no, I, I'm telling you, like, I, I did not. And, you know, and I, and I felt that I was very confident, you know, in my profession mm -hmm. I've been doing for a while. I was, I was a little bit older, you know, when, when I got into teaching. So I wasn't, you know, like, you know, really like fresh. I had life experience, but mm -hmm. um, it was definitely a learning experience. But I can tell you everything that I learned in that, in that first central office admin job, yeah. I carry it, you know, with me today. Like I learned so much from her and, and the great thing about it is, you know, speaking of her as, as, as a mentor is that she was the assistant superintendent and had just moved into the superintendency. Oh. So I basically took over her job. So she had the ability to, to walk me through piece by piece and she created the job to fit her 
because that was her skill set. So there were things that I learned, like literally, like, you know, in weeks time that I probably would have never had the opportunity yeah. to learn. And then, you know, the other part is, I think, talking about what does it mean to be safe, right? And having a safe environment to learn, right? Because, you know, you got to give people grace as they're trying to do things. And that's one thing she provided to me, like understanding that I'd never done it before. Um, but, you know, saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to be here for you, whatever you need, ask questions, I'm there. And I just think that's something that, you know, we should always keep in mind, um, whether it's our colleagues or we're supervising people that, 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 that having a safe space is very important. Hey, when you, when you talked about, you know, when we're talking about the importance of, you know, students feeling safe, you had the role, uh, you said Dean of Discipline, is that correct? Mm -hmm. So kind of like, what are some of your, like, especially coming from, you know, a special education background, I'm sure that served you really well in that role. What are some things that you, you know, share, like some of the practices that you had done to, to, you know, when, when kids mess up, cause they do, like, cause they're people and we all do, how do you ensure they feel safe through that process, but also, you know, be thoughtful of how do we get them to improve? You know, how do we get them? Cause I think a lot, a lot of people see that role as like a punitive role as opposed to one to help kids grow and become better. Right. And I'm glad you said that George. And that's exactly the way, the way I approached um, being a Dean. And, and I was, and I, I was an outlier, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, like, um, you know, not only in my school, but in the other like neighboring high school and then within like kind of our community, professional community of, of, of deans, like, I always, you know, took my experience as a special education teacher to find out like what's really going on, right? Getting down to the heart of the situation, you know, understanding that there may be other environmental factors going on that we may not know that could be causing, you know, a student to act out, especially when you have reoccurring, you know, situations like, you know, it's not, it's just not by coincidence, you know, and for me, I always really like looked at it from a compassionate standpoint. And early on, it's interesting, I got a lot of pushback from 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 my peers because they thought I should go harder on kids but mm -hmm. like you said they're 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 children right it doesn't matter if they're 17 years old 18 you know they're still children the fact that what I would do is you know really push to create a rapport first and foremost with them you know they had to know one that I care you know and I would you know and I would do that I would also explain to them you know about decision making first and foremost right because I think people assume that, a, you know, they just did something bad, but that's not the case because I had a lot of students that um, were moving into the school district I was working in and from, from another school district. And sometimes their skill set they had for survival in their previous district was not the same skill set that they needed in the, in the district that they had moved into where I was working. So a lot of times there was teaching opportunities for them and their parents, right? To say, you know, understand some of the unwritten rules that yes, you know, um, even though you may feel a certain way, responding or reacting in this way here um, is gonna is gonna create another barrier for your learning. Um, so that's that that's the way I took, went, went about it. And also, you know, George, I created partnerships and relationships with the parents, right? Like. You know, I'm kind of old school. So to me, I always thought about, you know, this is if if I my parents ever received a phone call, yeah. you know, why they were at work, you know, during the during the workday, like, like the, the, the odds are I'm probably not going to repeat that behavior nope. because that's the way it was in, in, in my house. And that's what I did. Like I would, you know, if it something happened, I'd immediately call their parents. 
You know, if they weren't at home, I call them at work. And the first thing, you know, they, you know, you see high school kids and they think, you know, you know, they're so nonchalant. But as soon as you say, oh, I'll just call your parents at work, like while they were in the office, right. right? So they could hear the conversation, right? I'm being honest, being transparent. I'm not going to say anything, you know, that I wouldn't normally say. And I would, and I would explain what would happen, um, you know, and, and tell the parents and say, you know what, your, your child made a bad choice. However, you know, what I like to do is can we, can we kind of, think about what we need to work on. So what I ended up doing was almost having like a, a plan. It was weird. Like no other deans were really thinking about a plan in terms to help the students improve their behavior so they wouldn't come back to the office again. That's what I tried to do. So I would have my my list of students. Um, I had about 500 on my caseload because the school had about 2,000 students, give or take. And But I knew the students that, you know, what we call probably more like if we look at MTSS would be like tier tier three, that one to five percent of that population. And I and I basically, you know, made sure that I connected with them like mm-hmm. every day. You know, even if it, even if they weren't in trouble, you know, it's because I wanted to I wanted to change it. I became visible, right? I became visible in the building. So the only time that, you know, I that they saw me the general student population was not just when something bad happened, but I I started just, you know, being, being around and, and, and making connections with the kids. And then, you know, what happened, what started to happen was the students actually didn't want to let me down. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they, right. they didn't want to come to my office and have me call their parents and they started feeling bad. So it, it really worked because now they had a reason um, to do better. Like it wasn't about like external control and trying to make sure that, you know, I'm going to make you do something. It really became internal, which is important for any type of growth, right? There has to be a reason why you're doing it for yourself um, versus other people. Well, I think that for me was always a focus in my work in admin was I wanted to get to a space where a kid was more worried about disappointing me than me becoming mad, you know, because we, but that takes a relationship. And one thing that you said that stuck out to me, you know, is that these are kids. And one of my things I always try to do is to try to look at every person is somebody's kid. Right. And even me, right. Some of the, Things, you know, like I always think, you know, what would my mom think if, you know, people were talking to me like this, you know, and it's the same thing with our students that somebody watching you have that conversation with a kid, would they be, you know, happy? That's the way you, even when they screw up, right? I think that's, that's really important. And one of the, one of the things I know that you were, um, you were just on a call for this and you kind of briefly mentioned it about next year is I feel almost every kid and I don't know how accurate this is, is coming into school next year with some level of trauma because there's going to be some variance of that, Um, you know, with everything that's going on in the world today. And, you know, probably a lot of kids are not going, are going to be back in school. They're going to be at home still. They're still going to be in that remote situation. And that's going to be very challenging for a lot of kids where, you know, school is a place where they go to, connect with others um you know some feel safe obviously in school uh, through that process so what's some of the things that you're kind of looking at or maybe you're doing to focus on how to um deal with that trauma as as students are coming back to school sure um so i'm glad you i'm glad you used the word trauma george because um I think that a lot of people have been avoiding using that term, mm-hmm. but that's what it is, right? We had we had an abrupt 
into what we once knew as normal and it threw everyone off and you know whatever ramifications came about that you know have not been positive and when you compound that with what students already may have been experiencing it gets you know you, you taught you it gets very challenging so for us as a district you know one first and foremost we want to make sure that we have the appropriate staff to provide that meaning clinicians psych, psychologists social workers counselors but also the fact of the like what other partnerships do we have in the community because you know education-based social workers psychs etc have an education focus but oftentimes it's the community agencies that have a focus on environmental factors mm -hmm. um, especially when you're talking about trauma and things of that nature and they have resources that schools rarely tap into and they're always looking for partnerships so that's that that's one thing we're looking to do to make sure that we have the staff available the second is is that working with our staff members right so they have the skill set to recognize and be aware of what they may see. So for example, during during the spring when we were doing um, the crisis learning and, and we were remote, um, you know, we had kind of almost like a, like a checklist in terms of what things, signs to look for when you're working with a student online and things, and so that you can say, okay, are they, are they getting what they need? Um, are they responsive? Have they not been on a on a on a call and been engaging? You know. Also, we we outline specifically. Um, don't take something you know and think it's something that it's not. For example, just because a student's um, current home situation or their home doesn't look like your home does not necessarily mean that there's something bad going on, right? Right. It's just it's just you know that's just what it is. You know, some people are just more fortunate to have you know additional space to work. Um, some people don't you know have have a home office. You know, when I was growing up, I did I did my homework at the kitchen table while my mom was cooking. Like we didn't have that space. So I think helping the teachers do that, helping the teachers recognize, um, we've done some work in terms of um, you know some mental health um, uh, support for our, for our teachers and how to recognize those things. Obviously, we're looking to more trauma informed practices. But um, the thing that I think is going to be the biggest um, the biggest part that's going to help us, George, is that we've always tried to go out of our way to build that social capital with families and students you know even before this happened and i think continuing to do that during this time is critical so easy small things like hey you know you know those students that you had last year there was no closure right for that for, for that school year you know starting the new year right with those with, with those kids and just having some closure you know you can set up a time in which whatever platform you use you can have students come in you can talk to them they can talk to their peers right and then the other part is the other part of that is making sure that like throughout the school year now every teacher is almost like a case manager right um and mm. if their day is going to be remote in a remote setting that means they're going to be somewhat more flexibility in terms of the day but building in that into that into the day so we've been working as a team collectively with our teachers union our building admin staff and our central office staff about creating kind of you know um an outline of what um, a teacher's day may look like and including that opportunity for the social emotional well-being and connection with students and being very intentional about that yeah and that, the I think this is why I resonated so closely with your work and like everything you're saying is stuff I believe in and 
like I, I think the, I don't know if this is you who brought this up, but you know, if, if you're, if your first phone call to a home was when COVID happened in the school year, probably not a good start. And, uh, you know, like we need to make those phone calls, those personal things. One of the things I'm adamant about is never deliver negative information over an email ever. No. Right. And I, I know that it's an, sometimes it's an easy way out. And I think sometimes social media lends to like, Hey, that's just how it is now. I'm like, no, that's, that's not, that's how we, you can make it that way, but it's not good. Um, you know, if we want to have those conversations set, you know, build those relationships, uh, with the families, um, with the caregivers to ensure that when, when their kid screws up, cause every kid screws up at some point to some extent that that parent knows we love that kid, that we got their back. And, and that's important And that when that phone call does maybe come home, uh, when something negative happens, they know that you see that as a mistake, not the whole of the child. And I think that's, you know, that's a concern for parents and rightfully so. And the, your, your ideas, I think, you know, this is a lot, like there's a lot of an emotional toll that didn't just happen with students, but obviously educators. And your focus on that too, I think was why I resonated um, so much with just those three words I brought up at the beginning of the podcast of uh, balance boundaries and breaks. I, I'm going to ask you, Evan, uh, in a bit, to talk about what you mean by each one and maybe like some okay. strategies that you use. Okay. But I actually want to know, and you kind of mentioned this to me in some of our conversations, um, <clears throat> but like, kind of like, how did you get to that on a, not necessarily an educational level, but on a personal level? Like yeah. why is that, why has that become such an important focus for you? Sure. So, um, you know, it's, it's very personal to me and, um, you know, my three B's as I refer them to the balance, balance and breaks literally saved my life, George. Um, and I say that because, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I kind of fast tracked, but I was also kind of um, playing catch up. And for me, you know, all through my life, I was always like trying to do something else, trying to do something else. Right. And eventually it got to a point where it caught up with me. Right. Because you can only do so much before, you know, your mind and your body get to a certain point. And then, you know, in the field of education and particularly what I was involved in. Right. Obviously, special education, discipline. It was always the, the those 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 roles were the highest stress, right? In terms of not being, if you're, unless you're a superintendent, right, right. etc. But like you know, always dealing with the highest needs, like it, it takes a toll on you. And you know, there's a lot of talk now about you know things like compassion fatigue, um, yeah. things of that nature, and and that's you know, and for me, um, you know, I started getting to that point and I had my own challenges and struggles, you know, with that. And, um, you know, got to a point where, you know, I really, you know, I couldn't continue anymore. And I, and I had to, I, you know, it's like, it's like the thing if either, either you decide to stop yourself or your mind and body will tell you, you know, right. that, that, and you have no choice. Right. So it's not, it's, it's no longer voluntary. Um, and that's, and so as I was going through some healing and going through getting better um, with that and, you know, some really, really became like a personal transformation um, as I was going through that um, through my readings and through my work, those three things kept coming like, like became a theme. Like I was seeing them everywhere. And, um, and so, you know, as I did that, I'm like, 
you know, I'd see something about balance and I think about it or I talk to somebody and it would like resonate with me. Um, and then, you know, I would think about, you know, boundaries because, you know, what does that mean to me? And like, what does that mean for a lot of people, especially in our, in our profession? And then the whole thing like I said before, I was always moving so fast. Like I move, you know, quickly in terms of like, okay, I'm married, you know, I'm going to have some kids. I'm going to, you know, then I'm going to get a job. Then I'm going to look for the, you know, for the next job and try to climb the ladder and et cetera, et cetera. You know, then I'm going to buy a house, like all those things that, you know, sometimes we think that we have to do because other people do that or tell us that we, we, we buy into that and not thinking that, you know, sometimes you just need to slow down. So, um, that's that's why you know I, I came up with three B's and why it resonated with me and I and when I started to implement those things in my life, it truly it truly changed everything for me. You know, I'm going to be honest with you, and I I you I think maybe this is a little bit you too. If you'd asked me five years ago, are those things important? I'd be like, no, that's like junk stuff and. Because it was all, it was always about just like working your butt off and like no days off, that kind of thing, right? Like, and we have this, this hustle culture on Instagram and like, you have to do this too. And one of the things I'm trying to get better at, and I actually, it's funny because I, I have an email going out tomorrow and I wrote this before I, I talked to you was that I'm trying to take breaks too early rather than too late. Mm-hmm. Trying to focus on, because a lot of times it's like we do those things when we get to a point of like breakdown, not as a place of like rejuvenation and, and getting better. And the one, the one thing that you said, uh, and I know you're, I know you're a basketball guy and I know you're actually, which is crazy. You're from the Chicago area and you're a Lakers fan. So I don't know if, gonna, I don't know if people are going to throw you out after this, but in the, in the Michael Jordan documentary, and I thought about this when you were talking about this, he said one, the thing that separated Michael Jordan from everyone else. And I just, this part resonated with me so much. He was so focused on the present and he, like, he wasn't focused on if he misses that shot or whatever. He was just in the moment. And sometimes, and why that resonated with me so deeply is because sometimes we are, we are so focused on what's next, we don't actually take the, the time to appreciate what's happening right now, what's like the present moment that we're in. Where it's always, and it's, it's, it's hard to do that, right? Like you, you want to do well in your work, you're looking at new opportunities, but you actually lose focus of, of the beauty of what the present moment that we're in. And so that, that I, I don't know if I don't, did you watch the last dance by the way? Yes, I did. So of course good. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think the first night I talked to you, I was like watching it for the third time. Yeah. And I paused it Cause I've like seen it. It's so good. I get, we, I don't want to lose to do a podcast on that. That's right. Like, yeah. So, Hey, Evan, can I ask you, okay, so when you talk about, I'm going to ask you actually to break down each three of these because I want people to see this podcast as an opportunity for them to like help them with these three areas. Mm -hmm. So like when you say balance, like, because a lot, a lot of people have very different interpretations of that word. What does that mean to you? And like, what are some ways that people can, you know, kind of achieve so that it helps them? 
Sure, sure. So, so the so the three Bs were actually rooted in uh, mindfulness meditation and dialectal behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. So, the mindfulness obviously is based on being present and being and being aware of being aware. Um, you know, pretty pretty plain and simple. And the dialectical behavioral therapy really focuses on uh, mood and emotion, and then also understanding that um, there's really no absolute right. There's always like a middle path. Right. So it, it basically talks about centering and anchoring yourself and understanding that. So in terms of the balance, um, for me, this, the, the way I always put it is balance is making sure that you balance your time, your energy and efforts into people, into projects that are going to be reciprocal. Right. Because, you know, yeah, I know people think about work balance, life balance, but think about it. Right. If you're going to put hundred percent into your work, right? You better hope that you're getting a return on your investment, right? From, from your, from your work as well. And you're seeing that if you're going to put hundred percent in your marriage, right? You should get that back as well. You put into your kids, if you're coaching, if you're working with them, right? Um, if you're going to set out on, on a new venture, right? You want to make sure that if you're going to do that, make sure you're getting it back because that's what usually, that's what usually happens. And that's the, that's where, that's where people get caught up and like, Oh, I can't find balance. It's not the fact that you want to do so much. It's more the, what are you putting your time into? And what are you saying? Like, I don't really need to be bothered with that because you know, what happens a lot of times is we put the energy in the wrong thing. And then we feel like, Oh, I just invested all this. And now, you know, it's not working. And then we feel bad. We start feeling regretful. We start feeling shameful. So the first thing for balance is really literally is, is writing down, you know, things in terms of, you know, very simple. Okay. What do I have to do? Whether it's my job, whether it's my work, whether it's my family. Right. And then, you know, you begin to prioritize and think about, okay, is this something that I have to do? Right. And I need to do, or is it something that I want to do? Right. And is it, and does it, and is it actually going to be beneficial for me in the long, in the long run? Cause there's some things that, you know, we may think I have to do this. I need to do this, but then you think about it. No, that's more of a want, right. It's more right. of a want. And like, can I put that off until another day, another time and do that? And you can, you can do that like daily. You can do it weekly. You can do it monthly, you know, whatever works best for you, but just try that because I think oftentimes we don't write things down on paper, right? Like, you know, or we don't, you know, you can even text it on your phone, whatever you want to do it. But like a lot of the times we don't, we think something, but we don't see the words. And when we see the words, there's so much more power to it. And then it makes you reflect and think about it. So that's, that's definitely like an easy, quick tip in terms of starting with the balance, because you'll then be able to see all the things that you're doing that you have going on. You may realize, wow, I didn't think I was doing this much, but really you are. And then, and you can begin to like prioritize that. I'm assuming that you believe this is important for kids, obviously too. Yeah. So, so this is actually, I remember this conversation um, and this is probably at a time where I didn't think that to be honest with you, I'm like, whatever balance new age stuff. Right. Like that's, that's how I used to think right. of it. No, I, I, was I was there. I was there too. Right. And I think, I think it's important to say, Hey, like this isn't something that I've always, but I'm seeing it. Maybe it's my age. I don't know. And I remember the, the conversation I had and I think it's still true. Uh, one of the teachers was challenging me because I was like, you know, balance is just something people say when whatever, they're not looking for it. And they're like, well, our kids need balance. And I remember saying this to them and I still think this is true. I said, do you think as an educator, you are balanced as a person and you should just saw the face. Like it's just <laughs> right. So 
so now like I think about that too. At the time is like I was kind of proving a point, like you're not balanced, so why are you making that kid do it? But I think the way I see it now is you're not balanced, so how can you effectively teach a kid that process? If if you because we get caught up into things that actually um deplete us often right and and that's you know that's part of that's part of life but is mm-hmm. that the majority of your life is that the majority of your day and so I, I just i think too we have a lot of educators who see that as really meaningful for kids to to emulate that we have to model that we have yes. to be able to have a conversation and it doesn't mean i think a lot of people and maybe this is where i was is that so i have a schedule and i have like two hours of exercise and I have to like schedule the time perfectly and then I will have balance. Right. But it's, it's, it's more than that. Um, the one, the, the balance and breaks I've heard before, the one that really caught my attention was the boundaries. And, uh, I, I just want you to talk like, what do you even yeah. mean by that? Cause I, I thought it, it resonated with me. I, I felt seriously, everyone, you messaged me. I felt like, you messaged me at just the right time in my own life. And like, we just had a daughter and you know, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Um, I feel like it was just serendipity at the moment, but like when you talk about boundaries, what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So most of the time when, when, when people talk of boundaries about boundaries, it's, it's always like making sure you don't cross someone else's boundaries, right? That, that you adhere to their boundaries and making sure doing that. But, you know, personally for me, my problem was is that you know, like most educators, um, you know, we are givers by nature. We're fixers, right? We want to help. You know, um, we want to we want to make sure that everybody's okay. And for me, I was the same way. So, like, you know, professionally, if you say, "Hey, we need someone to be the uh, sponsor of this activity or club," I'll do it, right? We need someone right. to be the coach. I'll do it, right? We, uh, can you stay after a little later? Sure, no problem. I'll do it, you know. And and throughout my career, I was doing that all the time, like you know, and just sure, I'll do it, no problem, because you know, thinking the fact that, well, you know, it'll look good because I'm volunteering for things, right? People will see that I'm a hard worker and I'm, you know, and how dedicated I am, you know, and you know, what happened was, is that it wasn't a voluntary thing. It became like the way that I was going about business, Mm -hmm. right? So now all of a sudden, it's not just, you know, I'll stay after maybe like, you know, once a month, someone asked me for help here and now and then that became the way that I did it. And I, and my, my mind was beginning to train itself so that that's all I did. So it was always, you know, attempting to go above and beyond 120% all the time. And personally, I'd been that way as well, like through my friendships, my family, extended family, like, you know, I was always looking out for another person, you know what I'm saying? And I know it was always trying to make sure everybody was right. Like someone needed something. Sure. You want to talk to me? Sure. I'm here to talk to. And I'd never said no. And that, yeah. that really is about the boundaries. It's, it's not so much about every uh, other people's. It's about ourselves. It's about giving yourself permission to say no. Right. Because you can't, you can't be everything for everybody. It's impossible. And, you know, I fell victim to that. And, you know, you end up being spread so thin in so many ways before you realize it. It's like, well, I'm doing everything for everybody else, but like, who's doing something for me? Right. Right. Like, like now, you know, when you, when you really need it, like people assume that you're okay because you seem to be handling everybody else's issues, but nobody ever asks, how are you doing? 
right? right. Checking in on you because you seem to be the person that's kind of got it all under control. But in, but in reality, right, you may be all over the place. And that was me. So, so the boundaries part is critical because if you don't set those personal boundaries and then adhere to them, like, you know, people are just going to go about their business as usual and, and, you know, and think that everything's okay. And we have to allow ourselves to say no. And, and, th and that means we're not a bad person. We're not mean, we're not, you know, we're not, we're not turning, turning our back on people, but like we have to look at ourselves first and make ourselves the priority. So then we can be able to help people when they need it. I, I think that when you're talking about that role, I, I thought about when I was a principal and we used to make our agenda together. And there's a very distinct wording that I had for people to add items to the agenda. I would say, um, hey, we're having a staff meeting on this day. If there are any items that you would like to speak to, I will add them to the agenda. And the reason I said that is sometimes uh, someone would be mad about some, something going on in the school and they would want me to put it on the agenda to get everyone riled up about it and to get in the arguments about it. And I didn't care. Like it's, it's not. And I'm like, no, if this is something that's really bothering you, it's bothering you. And like, I'll, I can put it on the agenda and you can have a conversation about it, but I'm not going to actually take on this battle because it's, it's not mine to have right now. And you know, there's obviously sometimes there's, you know, things that they would say like, Hey, can you talk about this? And we'd have a conversation. We do this. But I think a lot of times, you know, in the role of principal, in the role of leadership, people come to us with problems. We take on their problems and then we try to mm -hmm. fix them, not also recognizing we have 10 million other things that we're dealing with at that same time, whether it's personally or professionally. And I think part of it too, what I would try to do is say, okay, so I understand and I would listen to them. So what would you propose as a solution? And actually say like, you, part of this is you need to learn to figure some of this stuff out as well, because I cannot take on everyone's issue at all times. And I think it's a really important thing you develop in kids is that they learn to, like I would, I, I've talked about this several times. Uh, when kids are sent to my office, I'd ask two questions. Why are you here? And I, I wait for them to talk. I wouldn't like say this teacher said this and this and this. I say, why are you here? And then once, eventually, sometimes it took an hour for them to tell me, sometimes it took 30 seconds. Once they said that, I would say, what would you do if you were me? And I would put the onus on them solving some of those problems because a lot of times we are so quick as educators to try to solve everything yes. for everyone else. And then, <laughs> and then what happens, um, I think a lot of educators would be way better served if they took the advice they gave to others. Like that's, I, I'm, I'm notoriously bad for it too. I, I look, I'm like, why am, I, why am I giving that awesome advice to that person? But I don't take it ever. Right. And before we get into the breaks part, I want to read something that you wrote and I'm sharing uh, with my audience. I thought it was really powerful. Um, Evan has shared with me, we must change the narrative of martyrdom within our profession. As educators, we are compassionate, empathetic givers and fixers by nature. We sometimes care more about those we serve than we care about ourselves. We often lose balance, seldom adhere to our personal boundaries and feel guilty about taking a break. This is the secret seldom spoken aloud within the education profession, but practiced quite often amongst our peers. We must continuously remind ourselves and believe that the number one advocate for you is you. We need to allow ourselves permission to prioritize ourselves 
and be selfish. And I like how, and use the term SEL. I love that about our self-care and wellness to be selfless for the others that we serve. And I think, I think that notion people, we all want to help in education, but you can't effectively help people if you're not okay. And I think that's something that really in those words that you shared with me, Evan, are, are really powerful. Those would be, that'd be a good, good thing to have in a book. Right. It would. Yeah. <laughs> that's coming soon. Anyways, <laughs> so um, the, uh, the other, the last one I want your advice on and your thoughts on is when you talk about breaks and Hey, it's, we're recording this on July 17th. Uh, mostly in North America, people are uh, on their, so people some people call it summer break some call it summer rehab like it's whatever it is right whatever you need right what what would you what would like what does that mean to you and what what's advice would you give so um for me the reason why i talk about breaks is you know as i said i was always moving kind of moving to the, to the next one but i never really got a chance to enjoy anything george like right. you know as we you know speaking to you how i kind of you know I started in education a little bit later um, and then quickly I was like, you know, being promoted and getting other opportunities. I never got a, I never really got a chance to enjoy, right. Being in that space and like, Oh wow, this is, this is pretty cool. I was always kind of looking for, well, what am I going to do next? Because I thought I need to catch up and you know, you know, right now our society is so fast paced. Um, but I can tell you this and I, and I'm going to say this and I don't want people to take it out of context, but you know, when the pandemic hit, it forced everyone to pause, right? Like for, like for the first time, you know, how often would you hear someone say, I wish I had more hours in the day or, yeah. I, or I wish I could spend more time with my family or I wish I could have a day off or I wish I could like start a hobby or wish I could start or pick up a hobby I used to do, but I haven't had time to do it anymore. The pandemic hit and I think that the perspective that a lot of people had wasn't on how can I use this time to get better? How can I thrive? It was like more in survival mode. Yeah. And I think that the breaks part is huge because sometimes we don't even know when the opportunity is there to take a break. We can't even see it as a break. Right. Um, and for me, you know, I, I, it's so important that like I was doing so much, I just needed to stop. Right. I needed to, I needed to take it, I needed to pause. I, cause I was always like running, trying to do something before there was taking my kids to their athletic events or going into work early or staying, staying work late or, you know, trying to, trying to improve myself professionally. I never really like pause and allow myself to be in the moment. So that, that's really where the mindfulness comes in. And, you know, for, you know, really just being in the present, right. Allowing yourself to just be, you don't always have to be moving. You don't have to do, do anything. Mm -hmm. And that mindfulness piece is so good because it, it allows you to practice self-awareness, which leads to social awareness as well. And for me, like, you know, I started meditating um, and I was one of those people that said, you know, who meditates, right. like, right? Like I thought, I, you know, I thought, I, I thought that's only on TV, whatever. I was the last person to, to, to the, ever meditate. And second, you're the second last. <laughs> and we gotta, you gotta, you gotta help me out with that. And, and honestly, when I learned about mindfulness, it was like the type of meditation that worked for me, right? Because it doesn't take a long time, right? Um, it really is just 
being aware of being aware and like of everything from from like the sounds you hear like the sounds you don't hear like listening to like your your breathing listening to your heartbeat um you know when you're outside you know hearing hearing animals um hearing birds chirp you know hearing cars pass by but just being present enough to hear all of that because oftentimes we block all that out right there's so many things that are going on around us you don't take the time to just enjoy that. So for me, you know, I started meditating and, you know, I've, I've been doing that practice for quite some time. And, you know, with me, you don't have to meditate for a long time. We're talking like 10 minutes. Like when I first thing I get up in the morning, I meditate before I go work out, you know, and get my movement in. But I just do that because it, if it helps me start my day and it anchors me, it centers me. Right. It, it, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's almost so simple. You can't believe that it works. Like I, I, I that in, in it, in, but it does because you know, what happens is you, your mind starts to train differently and you start behaving differently. So like, even if I, even if my phone rings, right. And I get a call, like I'll pause before I answer it. How many people just see the phone ring and they, they, they answer it right away. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, really being able to, to pause, gather yourself, gather your thoughts and breathe for a minute. And in the mindfulness, you know, techniques is really, you know, concentrating on your breathing, slowing your breathing down and just, um, just allowing anything to happen. Like, you know, if you, if your mind kind of wanders off, that's okay. Like a lot, recognize that your mind wanders off and then just kind of bring it back. So, you know, that's where the breaks comes in. And also the other part, George is like taking like time out for yourself, right? Like, you know, oftentimes in our profession, we don't take sick days, right? Like it's, it's like, it's like a no, no, don't, don't take a sick day. Right. You know, when you're an admin, you have vacation days, but like, you don't take your vacation days, right? You think like, you know, you have to show up and you don't want to take time off. Like there's a reason why we have, we have sick days, personal days, vacation days and whatever profession, because you need that respite, right? You need your body and your mind to be at ease and not be so focused all the time. Because if not, you know, it's like, it's like anything else. It's, it's going to tell you, it's going to make you stop. So the other breaks is taking that time off taking that time out, you know, if you can't take a vacation day on that particular day or down the week, yep. utilize your lunch, your lunch hours to do something productive, you know, just kind of remove yourself for a little bit so that you can come back, revitalize and be, and be, and be refreshed because it's so important. You know, there's ways you can do that. Um, and just finding what works best for you and then applying it and then, you know, start doing it more and it becomes a habit. Okay. I got to ask you about the meditation thing. Okay. And you got to help me out. So this is my issue with, this is my, not, I don't have an issue with the concept of meditation. This is my issue with doing meditation. And I don't know if this is part of the process. Sometimes when I've tried it before, I just hate the like thoughts that are in my head at the moment. Like I struggle with that. <clears throat> it's like, I, I know this sounds weird. I feel my mind is so empty. And then, and I've always, I've always had an issue with, silence so i need uh music to go to sleep those things right and silence gives me a hard time so i've always struggled with meditation i don't know if you have any advice yeah because that that's the that's the i've tried i've tried it like because people say oh just do it for 10 minutes i'm like a minute and i'm like i can't do this yeah. this is like it's it, it feels like it's a, when people say it, it's actually you know harmful or like i feel it's i struggle with it not taking the 10 minutes to do, but I just struggle being in my own head. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know what? Here's the thing. Like, that's okay. Like that. That's normal. Like, if, okay, if you're, yeah, no, no, you're no, you're supposed to because yeah. like that's the whole point. Is like you're becoming aware of the fact that your mind is moving and that and like mm-hmm. you know the thoughts are coming in, and and for you, you know, you mentioned about you always need like noise. That is the noise for you when you're yeah. meditating right? That like, like when the thoughts are coming in and coming out that, that, you know, if you kind of just own that and kind of let it happen, that may be the type of like peace that you need to, to get your body in a place and your mind in a place where, where you can rest. And, and that's okay. So during that time, it's, it's all about whatever's, whatever's happening in the moment, allow it to happen. Like just be present and don't try to fight it because I thought like originally I thought like you did, right. You know, you have to like sit still. You can't, you can't say anything like my thoughts aren't supposed to go in your head. Well, I mean, it's your brain, right? So like you're not turning your brain off. It's just accepting what's happening and what's accepting what is currently going on and, and being okay with that. Yeah. And like, I, 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 I think part of all of this, and I think this is where I've had my big um, kind of shift in thinking on this, all of the things that you're talking about are so we can be better in our job. They're not like going away for a job or ignoring this. Like anyone that's listening to this podcast right now, I so appreciate you listening to this podcast, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't listen to any education podcast because I need a break from education and I don't necessarily, if I, I don't want it on my phone at sometimes uh, people say, Oh, you need to sign for Vox. I'm like, nah, I don't want, I don't want voicemail messages from educators. Now, if you're on Vox, I'm not saying it's bad. If you listen to education podcasts like you're doing right now, I don't think it's bad, but you, we got to figure out those ways where we get away from this stuff yes. to make us better. And I think that's, that's been my shift because years ago I'd sign up for everything, anything education related. I got to be immersed in all the time. And I started losing like focus on myself. And this is actually, um, as you're talking, I thought about, and I thought about my high school life. And I remember I was dating uh, a girl at the time and she lived in a small town and they, I'm telling you, it's a K to 12 school. I think they had a hundred kids. It's a very small school. I'm really into basketball. Uh, to be honest with you, in my division at the time, we were one of the best teams for the years I played. And that school, the coach, uh, her dad was the coach, and they weren't allowed to play basketball uh, during non-basketball season. They had to play a different sport. And, you know, like now it's like club sports. Got to mm-hmm. play, like, if you're going to be a basketball player, you got to play it 12 months a year. And so it was like, you had to do that because it actually develops your body in different ways that are beneficial to the sport. And they used to do meditation. And boy, did I used to make fun of it. Like, just nonstop making fun of it. But (laughs) they won the provincial championship. I think, you know, I think they won it like seven years in a row. And they actually went up to like the highest levels. Like, they actually played against schools much larger. Mm-hmm. And it was all of those practices and the things that I saw as like, this is such a waste of time. It was actually them being, you know, focusing on being present in the moment, help them be present in the moment when they were playing. And, and I was like, okay, hey, like, how can I be criticizing this when they've actually had tremendous success from stepping away from the sport, from actually 
being mindful and, and, and being present in the moment. Because I think that's the, I think that's the disconnect for a lot of people is that these things are a waste of time. And I actually see them now as, as helping me be better at my work. Like I've taken a little bit of a break um, from education when our daughter was born. And I feel like now I have a bunch of ideas. Now I have, and I feel like rejuvenated where I felt I was just kind of like getting over the finish line every day and was dreading the work that I do. And now I'm excited about it again. And I feel like if I didn't take that break, that it'd be even, I'd be even worse off now. Right. I don't think I would just eventually got myself out of it. So, so I don't, am I off here? Like, no, no, that that's it, George. Like, you know, we don't have to be on all the time. Right. And that's, that was, that's, that's, that's another piece that, you know, um, I talk about a lot as well. And that, you know, and that was for me, like, you know, being on meaning like, as you said, like being an educator all day, every day, every week, right. like, you know, that's our profession and that's our job. Right. We love it. But also like we have other interests too. Right. You know, that, like that, that doesn't define who we are. It's a part of us and we love it, but also we have other interests. Right. And, and I think giving ourselves permission to do that is, is so critical to say, Hey, you know what? I may, I may want to, um, you know, kind of, enjoy my summer. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to pick up a book. I don't want, I don't want to take an extra class. I don't want to, I don't want to do professional development. Right. And, and, and to me, I think you, you kind of hit on it is that like sometimes like, you know, when, when you're not doing something like the the energy and the thirst and the thrive comes back to doing it and you get it, you get a time to do some self-reflecting, like, because really when you clear your mind and step away, right. Going back to, to the meditation and mindfulness piece, all of a sudden, like there's things that you probably wouldn't notice that were going on that an ideas come because your mind is open up. It's at ease, right? You're not, you're not always in like kind of survival mode of what's next, what's next. You're getting, getting a chance for ideas to flourish. Um, you can kind of let them marinate and then, you know, see things from a different perspective. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And, and Evan, it was not only great. I like these podcasts. I find when I do them, when I have conversations with other people, I find them rejuvenating and part is cause I'm just, we're just chatting. Like mm-hmm. I know we're talking about education, but I don't feel the pressure. And honestly, we had a great conversation before, you know, we're going to, sometime I'm going to do the podcast before the podcast because I think there's some, some awesomeness there. But hey, Evan, um, thank you so much for your time. And it's, it's honestly been great getting to know you, but I'm really pumped for uh, the work we have planned ahead that's coming up. Uh, can you tell people like where they can find you? Sure. So um, my my social media home, for the most part, is on Twitter. And you can find me um, at Evan Whitehead, at E-V-A-N-W-H-I-T-E-H-E-A-D-0-0, at Evan Whitehead 0 um, you know, and just reach out, follow me, you know, um, obviously, um, I follow back and I also send, um, DMs. So if you send me at the end, like, obviously I, I definitely will, will respond. Um, I'm always looking to collaborate, you know, even if it just means having a quick conversation or bouncing yep. ideas off. Um, and also, you know, the other part, I am one of those people that are on Voxer, not active as much as I, as, as, yeah. as, as some others are, but I am on Voxer. And so you can contact me on Voxer. Um, and it's E, W capital E W zero zero. Awesome. Hey, before we go, we're both big basketball fans. Uh, NBA season is about to start up. Uh, 
I don't think it's going to make it all the way through, but we'll see. Who do you have? You know who I got. Who do you have winning the championship? Clippers. No. Clippers. No. No. <laughs> Evan, how way to ruin the conversation right Clippers. at the end. Clippers. You know, uh, here, here, here's the thing, George. Like, and, and we'll talk about this more one day. Like, do you really realize how many guys from Illinois play in the NBA? Like, it, yeah. like, every, yeah. It, it, you I'm, know, and. In, I know, in, I know. You told me you're dropping Van Vliet. He's my favorite. <laughs> and and look, I really. But first of all, like like Doc Rivers, right? Coach is from right. is is from right outside Chicago in Maywood, and then um, you know Pat Beverly is from the west side of Chicago. You know what I'm saying? And Do you know so who else like is from Chicago is Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah, Tom, Isaiah Thomas from the West Side as well. <laughs> you know, right? um, poor guy. He comes from Chicago, <laughs> and Chicago hates him because of Michael Jordan. Yeah, um, but but you know what? Yeah, I, I I like the Clippers, man. I like I like what they're what what they what they have a chance to do. We'll see. Um, I'm I'm never look. I know you and you I. Know, are you know why that hurts me? You know why that hurts me? <laughs> Yeah, I know, because Kawhi. Kawhi. He Kawhi. Left I know. Us. I know. That's why I said he it. Had the whole, <laughs> he had the whole country, man. He the whole country. But I we know. like, you know, you know what's funny? He's he wanted, and we're so Canadian, we're like, and he said he wants to be a family. Like, we understand. <laughs> it's like no, there's no like it's just no. like, yeah, that makes sense, right? But you know, you know what would be awesome? Clippers, Raptors, Raptors win the championship. Cause you got you got an Illinois guy there. Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. Okay. So uh, we'll we'll bet a we'll bet a, a meal on that one. I'm taking Sounds Raptors, good. Get, but I might never have to pay it because <laughs> I don't think I get across the border. <laughs> anyway, the only people get across the border are the Raptors right now. So, <laughs> anyways, man. Uh, anyone, make sure you follow Evan. Uh, we're gonna link the the uh where you can connect with them at as well but evan i'm so pumped to work with you thanks for dropping on the podcast it was awesome thanks george peace and blessings brother go raptors man